Listen, there's a great work to be done. As soon as you win this court battle, you must deliver this message. Take advantage of this opportunity and declare a powerful message to this world. He expects more of us. He believes we can do more. Who's going to stop Christ? Who's going to stop Christ from getting this work done? This is Behind the Work. Welcome to Behind the Work. I'm Grant Turgeon. We're broadcasting to you from the Herbert W. Armstrong College campus here in Edmond, Oklahoma. This is KPCG Radio, and you can listen online anytime at kpcg.fm. Thanks so much for listening today. Every reader needs to know these facts. We hear much about roots these days. You need to know not only the trunk of the tree in order to understand the branches and twigs in their right and true perspective, but you need to know about the roots from which even the trunk and whole tree, Worldwide Church of God, has grown. This is the introduction in italics to an article that the late educator and theologian and Worldwide Church of God founder, Herbert W. Armstrong, wrote in the Plain Truth magazine, February 1978. And this article is titled, What Every Reader Needs to Know About the Foundation, History, Authority, and Doctrine of the Worldwide Church of God. Of course, the Worldwide Church of God is the forerunner It is the predecessor to the Philadelphia Church of God today. Here in the PCG, we are the only people raising up the ruins of Mr. Armstrong's legacy with God. We're the only people following what God did through Mr. Armstrong. Now, perhaps for some of you old timers and By old-timers, I mean anyone older than me, so (laughs) not very old at all. You probably remember the first time you read this article. As only Mr. Armstrong could, he went through countless, literally countless years of history and prehistory in just one article. Of course... You're probably familiar with the fact that John 1 verse 1 is the true chronological beginning of the Holy Bible, where God and the Word dwell together forever with absolute unity. God in charge, the Word completely obedient to Him and in agreement with Him. Now, this was before time or space or matter even existed, before even other spirit beings existed. And so Mr. Armstrong summarizes how eventually God, through the Word, the Word using the power of the Holy Spirit, created the angels And then the third of all the angels under Lucifer on this earth entrusted to beautify this earth and establish God's government 
on earth rebelled. A third of all the angels rebelled. And because they are spirit beings, that choice is permanent. And then, of course, Mr. Armstrong is giving the grand scope of this prehistory. He talks about how God renewed the face of the earth in just six days. And that included the creation of human beings. And then the seventh day, Sabbath. But then Adam and Eve were also swayed by the being Lucifer became, Satan. So Lucifer became Satan, deceived and led astray. A third of all the angels, twisting and warping them into demons. And then Satan went ahead and did the same to Adam and Eve. Now, they didn't become (laughs) demons, of course, but they did rebel just like those demons did. And from that point, God banished them from the Garden of Eden, and they had to build their own civilization for 6,000 years. Now, really, they were just going to be serving Satan and going Satan's way, but God let them think that they were doing it their own way. He let them think that their lawlessness was actually freedom, as Mr. Armstrong points out in this article. Of course, the grand sweep of history continues with all of civilization cut off. God then had to reach out to certain groups of people. Only a few people, a few individuals in about 2,000 years were obedient to God or had much meaningful contact with God in any way. Abel, Enoch, Noah, then Abraham, and God blessed Abraham, and he blessed the physical descendants of Abraham and started working through the nation of Israel that came out of Abraham. But then Israel really could only receive physical blessings, material rewards for obeying only the letter of the law. They didn't know how to obey the full spiritual intent of God's law, the Ten Commandments, because they didn't have access to God's Holy Spirit, the power to obey. Now with Israel having all of these advantages as a nation, still failing to obey God, that proved God's point that Humans need the Holy Spirit to succeed. And so the next group of people God began to work with could receive the Holy Spirit. And they could keep the full spiritual intent of God's law. Of course, I'm talking about the church. Members of the church could take it to another deeper level of obedience. Jesus Christ came to earth And part of what he did was die for our sins so that when every human being comes to repentance, their sins can be washed away and they can live beyond this physical life. Physical life doesn't have to be the end for us. Death doesn't mean real death. 
because of Christ's sacrifice. We can come back from death in a resurrection because of what Christ did. So Christ also came to establish his church. He gave the brethren the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost in A.D. 31. And this church has always been relatively small and scattered and persecuted by a great false church that was set up just two years later in AD 33. So again, this is all the, the grand sweep of prehistory and history that Mr. Armstrong is covering in this one article from the February 1978 Plain Truth magazine. And he makes it so clear and so riveting and interesting. And he relates it directly to you and me. What an incredible, godly communicator Mr. Armstrong was. He continues here with this sweep of history to mention the church eras, which are talked about, of course, in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And then those church eras would continue all the way up until the sixth era, which was led, of course, by God and by Christ, but done, the work was done through Mr. Armstrong. Mr. Armstrong runs through some of the high points, the highlights of his life, the preparation that God gave him before he was even called into God's service. God had a special mission for Mr. Armstrong. But think about any special mission, <laughs> trying to go to the moon, land on the moon, and have a successful launch and a successful trip, a successful, safe return back to Earth. You can't just show up on the day of the mission and go. It doesn't work like that. A mission requires oftentimes many years of preparation. And even before Mr. Armstrong knew he was being called for a special mission, God was still preparing him. Mr. Armstrong goes all the way back to age 16, his first summer vacation job away from home in another town where his employer gave him some sincere encouragement for his work ethic. And just this one act of encouragement instilled great self-confidence in Mr. Armstrong. His employer encouraged him to work hard to achieve success. But as Mr. Armstrong points out at this time, when he was 16, he didn't, he didn't have a goal in life yet. He didn't know what to work hard to achieve. Ultimately at age 18, he put himself through a thorough self analysis process he came to a specific goal to pursue, which, of course, God would eventually change for him. But Mr. Armstrong did make a good six-figure salary at that time, the equivalent of that back in the 19-teens and 20s. He was a writer, an advertiser, and he was very skilled and accomplished 
but the flash depression of 1920 wiped away his entire successful advertising business. He moved from Iowa and Chicago, Illinois, up to Oregon in 1924 with his family and with his in-laws, his wife's brother and sister. An 18-day trip over dirt and gravel, unpaved roads in a Model T Ford. An agonizingly slow journey contrasted with today's convenient standards. In the autumn of 1926, he was hit by a dual challenge. His wife told him that they needed to keep God's Sabbath day. And at the same time, a sister-in-law called him downright ignorant because he did not believe evolution. So this dual challenge plunged him into a night and day intensive, in-depth study. Mr. Armstrong studied for upwards of 12 to 15 hours every single day for six months. Remember, he had just become unemployed because of the depression. He had some extra time, and he studied as if his life depended on it. He went through the Bible. He read what the Bible actually says. And he was shocked to find out how many things the Bible says that are plainly contradicted by traditional Christianity. He read that the wages of sin is death, Romans 6, verse 23, not eternal life in hellfire. He read that Eternal life is the gift of God. Mr. Armstrong wrote, wrote, what? Eternal life a gift? I had been taught I already had eternal life. I was an immortal soul. Plenty of Bible verses practically tear apart what churches today are teaching. And yet, I guess in some ways, they think their teachings are a bit more comforting. They don't really want to confront the realities of death. They would rather think that you never really die. Even if you're suffering forever, at least you never really die and go completely unconscious into the grave, at least for a time. So they come up with hellfire. They twist certain verses to fit that preconceived belief. And of course, Mr. Armstrong studied the Sabbath. He tried so hard to disprove the Sabbath. Giving one day of every single week to God, that just doesn't even seem reasonable, he must have told himself. He tried hard to dismantle this Sabbath belief, and yet he couldn't do it. He found Exodus 31, verses 12 through 17, the Sabbath covenant, where God commands it to be observed forever as a sign between him and his obedient people. It doesn't say between him and just the Jews. It says between him and those who are going to obey him. You have to keep the Sabbath. 
It's even one of the Ten Commandments. And those Ten Commandments transcend ancient Israel and are still in effect today. Christ came to uphold the law, magnify the law, fulfill the law, not do away with it, as you can see in Matthew chapter 5. Mr. Armstrong says, Little by little, God revealed his true gospel in all its fullness to me. So remember, 1926, he destroyed the false belief of, ed- of evolution, and he begrudgingly accepted that the Sabbath is still in effect to this day, and we are still expected to keep it. He says here he's, re- he's receiving the true gospel the true message, the good news of the coming kingdom of God. But he says, but first God had to completely disillusion my mind of all I had been taught in Sunday school prior to age 18. God caused me to come to his work with a mind swept clean of all these false teachings, free to reject error and accept truth. I know of no other worldwide religious leaders since the original apostles and Paul, all of whom were taught by Christ in person, who ever came to God's teachings in this manner. Mr. Armstrong came into God's truth with an open mind. He was forced to, to admit that there was plenty he didn't know and plenty of points on which he had been misled. So that opened his mind to an honest study of the Bible. He came into contact with the Sardis era, the fifth church era, talked about in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. They were up there in Oregon, although they had pretty soon after Mr. Armstrong's first contact with them, a division with another Church of God group in Missouri. So this Oregon group broke off from them. They started their Oregon conference of the Church of God. Mr. Armstrong would frequently talk with them, visit with them, go to services with them, but he never officially became a member of that church because he saw so much wrong with it. They didn't keep the annual holy days. They didn't have as Mr. Armstrong put it, about 75 pieces out of the 100 pieces of the Bible jigsaw puzzle. They were missing three quarters of the Bible jigsaw puzzle pieces. The Bible is revealed little by little all throughout. You have to look here a little and there a little in the Bible and put all those pieces together. And the Sardis era was missing a lot of those pieces. Mr. Armstrong writes, God was inspiring me to fill in the gaps with what they had, which God made clear to my mind were true doctrines. The picture was all distorted. It did not show why humans were put on earth. It did not show what was God's purpose that caused him to decide to create humanity in his likeness and put them on earth. There plainly was a devil called Satan, but where did he come from? Did God create a devil to torment us? 
one of their prominent ministers, because they had no answer to this, preached that no such thing as a devil exists. That is brazenly against what the Bible says. But you see what happens when people get frustrated by not being able to understand the Bible. It becomes easy to just make something up. Just to answer that question in their own minds at least. Give themselves a bit of comfort. Mr. Armstrong continues, why is the human mind so superior to the animal brain when there is virtually no difference qualitatively and quantitatively? They, talking about the Sardis church era, had none of these truths. Where was the United States identified in prophecy? They did not know this and therefore had prophecies of the beast and those of Daniel and Revelation all in error. They did not understand that God is not trying to save the whole world now or why. It was my understanding that they looked on this world as God's world. And God was trying desperately to save it. But the devil was winning the battle. What is man's real potential? Aside from being resurrected immortal, which they believed for the saved. Then what? What was the real purpose in putting humanity on earth after all? If the saved are resurrected, where do we go on from there? What shall we be doing for all eternity? Will we get bored with nothing to do? So you see, even when Sardis did have a little bit of truth, they simply totally lacked the big picture. They didn't know their own purpose for living. Yes, maybe they kept the Sabbath. Maybe they tried to keep some of God's law, but they didn't even know why. They didn't have any vision. Mr. Armstrong talks about learning about Israel and Judah, the divided kingdoms, the birthright promise, the scepter promise. You can read more about that in our free book, The United States and Britain in Prophecy. Mr. Armstrong presented this truth to the Sardis era, and one of their leaders rejected it. He said it was truth from God, but he didn't see how he could introduce it to the brethren. And so he just filed it away, and the church never got to read what later became the United States and Britain in Prophecy. Again, available to you for free at thetrumpet.com. And this book if you keep an open mind, will change your life. Mr. Armstrong said, the truth of how God is reproducing himself was revealed to me. God's master plan could never be understood by them since they rejected the annual Sabbaths and festivals that reveal and picture the master plan. To sum it all up, God raised me up and used me in restoring the basic knowledge that had been lost through the generations. And then Mr. Armstrong says, do we really appreciate it? Do we delight in it? Or are we like the sow, which would trample in the mud, precious diamonds, rubies, emeralds, and sapphires on her way to eat slop? Do we recognize the true values 
You see, that is what God's work focuses on today, teaching the true values, the true gospel message of the coming kingdom of God, of a better world, of a healed, repaired, inhabited universe. That is the truth beyond the coming suffering. And so much of that we understand today because of what God did through Mr. Armstrong. That's why it's called Herbert W. Armstrong College, why it's called Armstrong Auditorium, why it's called the Herbert W. Armstrong College Bible Correspondence Course. And it goes on and on. Our youth camp is now called Summer Educational Program, just like it was under Mr. Armstrong. We have a concert series. We have all the magazines. We have the TV program. We have the personal appearance campaigns. We are trying as hard as possible, using the power of God, letting God lead it all to raise up the ruins. God's work was destroyed by rebels after Mr. Armstrong died in 1986. But the, the, the man who later became the pastor general of the Philadelphia Church of God, Mr. Gerald Flurry, saw what was happening, and he was appalled by it. Mr. Armstrong was like a father to Mr. Flurry, even if he didn't know it. Mr. Flurry, because he lacked some manly leadership growing up, often looked to Mr. Armstrong as somewhat of a replacement of his own father. And Mr. Armstrong was a spiritual father to him because he introduced Mr. Flurry to God's truth, that truth that, that should make us jump for joy. And so when these rebels, after Mr. Armstrong started de destroying the church, Mr. Flurry knew it was wrong. He knew that the leaders after Mr. Armstrong should have been like Joshua following Moses in ancient Israel, upholding every word spoken by Mr. Armstrong, passing along the teachings restored to God's church after almost 2,000 years. God used Mr. Armstrong to restore all of that truth to the church. And yet the people after him very quickly threw away all of that truth. You can, you can almost hear the contempt in reading Malachi's message where Mr. Flurry's saying, why couldn't they just stick with what Mr. Armstrong taught? Who did they think they were? to throw it all away like that and to forget about their responsibility to God to simply follow the track already laid out for them by Mr. Armstrong. We are very blessed today to be led by Christ in this church, to have a human leader who understands the, the glory of, and the majesty of what God did through Mr. Armstrong. 
That is to draw attention to God, not the man. But look at what God did through one man. Mr. Armstrong was converted and baptized in the spring of 1927. He never really wanted to be a preacher, but he loved the truth so much that he couldn't resist teaching it. The members were already begging him to teach. Those Sardis brethren weren't getting anything from the actual ministers in the church. December of 1931, he did a 10-day evangelistic campaign in Harrisburg, Oregon. And Mr. Armstrong writes, From my first sermon, God blessed all my preaching and writing with success. In July 1933, he did a six-week campaign. And this time, there were people who were converted and immediately accepted the truth. When Mr. Armstrong tried to teach the Oregon Conference of the Church of God about the annual Sabbaths, They laughed him to scorn. But through this six-week campaign in July 1933, people came around who actually did accept the truth. A small church, 19 members, emerged as the parent church, the very start of the Philadelphia era of the church. That church was born in August 1933. Mr. Armstrong says, but the one thing uppermost in God's mind right now is to restore the government of God to the earth and to have it announced to the world. So they focused on giving God's truth to the world free of charge as a warning and as a lifesaver to some people. Today we've talked about the roots the grand sweep of history that Mr. Armstrong gave in this February 1978 Plain Truth article. The roots, the origin, the history, the prehistory of God's church, of God's miraculous work through that one man, and a work that is continued in the Philadelphia Church of God and by Mr. Flurry today. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Grant Turgeon. This has been Behind the Work. You've been listening to Behind the Work. Email your thoughts to comments at kpcg.fm. Listen for a new episode each Monday at 12 p.m. Central Time.